It's old timey crimey. I am Christy. I am Amber. And this is my brother Jonathan. Hey, I'm Jonathan. <laughs> and he is here to go along a magical and very weird ride into the past as we are going to do today. But first, don't forget you can send us your hometowns and we will look into old timey crimes you may or may not know about there. Uh, oldtimeycrimey at gmail.com or oldtimeycrimey on Facebook and Twitter. So, let's dive right in. Oh, the puns begin already. The puns begin. So, we are going to be talking about... Upside down pineapples. <laughs> yes. The Galapagos Affair. Have you ever heard of this, Jonathan? I don't believe so. And Amber, you said you hadn't heard of it until you did research. I had not, no. Okay, all right. So yeah, it is, it is a really crazy, crazy tale. It's uh, about a lot of people who want to get away from it all. Uh, but at the end of the day, one thing you can't get away from is yourself. And other people who might murder you. Yeah, that's an issue everywhere. Pretty much, Even yeah. Even on deserted islands. Yes, yes. Well, let's talk about that deserted island. It is Floriana Island. It was first named Charles Island after King Charles II, because we got to suck up to royalty. Then it was called Santa Maria, in honor of the boat that was neither the Nina nor the Pinta. <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, I guess, Columbus. We love naming things after Columbus. Then it was renamed again to Floriana after the president of Ecuador, Juan Jose Flores. Uh, his administration uh, took possession of the island for e Ecuador. It is 67 square miles and was formed by a volcanic eruption. Ecuador is the nearest mainland and is 600 miles away. Now, this was a useful island for people who made their living by the sea, even in the 19th century. One of the island's only two bays is Post Office Bay, which ships used to drop off and pick up international mail. It was a post office. It's an actual post office with a wooden barrel placed by some whalers. Protected by a giant tortoise shell. <laughs> it seems like one of those things that should be made up, right? <laughs> but it's apropos, though, because the island itself is, is really known for the tortoises yeah, as well. It, yeah, it really was. And so a lot of mail came to, well, went to and came from Nantucket because the island was really popular with whalers. It was kind of like a tradition that when you passed by... This island, you stopped to drop off and pick up mail at Post Office Bay. So I actually have a confession about Nantucket. I did not realize for the longest time that that was a real place. I had only heard it in the limerick. <laughs> and thought they did it just to make it rhyme. <laughs> That's hilarious, and I love it. It's like how Jackson didn't realize that that 70s show took place in the 70s until that 80s show came out. <laughs> Then it hit him. I didn't even know that 80s show came out. Oh, there you go. Well, it was like 20-some years ago or something, so. I think it's closer to 40. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, don't say that. So, the War of 1812, during that time, a U.S. Navy captain actually used Post Office Bay to his advantage. He would read the letters that were left there to learn where the English ships were and leave false notes of his own to divert them where he wanted them to go. I've seen cartoons that, that do just that. Exactly. Well, it's, it's very effective. He captured 12 vessels that way. There you go. It's pretty, pretty good. How'd you capture them? Mail. <laughs> Mail fraud. You know, you don't want to mess with the Postal Service, they say. 
Well, yeah, but most of the time it's because of the machine gun issue. Yeah. <laughs> Not because of the, you know. Captured vessels. Captured vessels. Now, you can still drop off or deliver from this post office. You don't need stamps. Don't need any postage at all. Just drop a letter or whatever in there. And when people visit the island, they'll collect them, sort them, and attempt to deliver them. To this day. I want to do this. I kind of do now, too. Right? Now, uh, a real tragedy happened on this island in 1820. Uh, A helmsman on the ship Essex, he thought he'd get a little mischievous. Do a little harmless prank while the ship was docked at Floriana. So he went to shore, and he took his tinderbox with him. Everyone else was searching and hunting for tortoises, because that's what you did here. And this helmsman, whose name was Thomas Chapel, lit up the underbrush in the dry season. Pretty soon the fire was extensive enough to cut off the other men from their way back to the ship. They had no choice but to run through the flames. Now, everyone survived. Just some burned clothes, some singed hair, probably some missing eyebrows. No serious injuries, but the island, not so much. It was estimated that many thousands of birds, tortoises, lizards, and snakes were killed. And several species were probably driven to extinction by this single prank. It was still a burnt black wasteland even years later. And then this is another little fun thing. There was a giant tortoise discovered there in 1791, and they call him Port Royal Tom. People inscribe their names and the date onto his shell when they find him. So that's how we know how, when he was discovered, the earliest date is 1791. Word was he was still alive in 1881. But as long as tortoises can live there, it's harder for humans to stay alive. This is from Margaret Whitmer, who one day would live on the island, giving a little bit of the history. Uh, General Villamil landed from Ecuador hoping to colonize the Galapagos and started on our island with 80 convicts whose sentences have been commuted from death to penal servitude. Go ahead. (laughs) 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 It was the general who gave the island its present name in honor of Flores. The site of the convict settlement was where we had settled now. So that's where the Whitmers are going to settle. The general called it Asilo de la Paz or Asylum of Peace. But life up here was anything but peaceful. Illumil's successor was forced to flee from the convicts. Those of them who survived were taken to other islands of the group. So there was sort of a little little convict uprising on the island. There really is no aboriginal population there. Only people who live there are immigrants or descendants of immigrants. That's true of the Galapagos as a whole. But over its history, several groups have tried to settle it, like, you know, the convicts and such. And we're talking about three of those groups today. So let's start with Dr. Friedrich Ritter and Dora Stock. Hold on. Wait. Before you start this, sure. though, I do want to state that for the record, Charles Darwin also studied there in, what, 1835, and a lot of people might be familiar with the Galapagos from the finches that mm-hmm. he studied and wrote about extensively. And the origin of species. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a lot of people's main association with the Galapagos is the fact that, like, our whole idea of evolution kind of comes from Charles Darwin's time there. Well, and I, I think it's lovely that uh, maybe some Darwinism is involved. <laughs> maybe. A little survival of the fittest. So Dr. Frederick Ritter and Dora Stout, Strout were not married to each other, <laughs> but the press did refer to them as being married. They weren't. 
<laughs> no, they weren't. Dr. Ritter was described by Margaret Whitman, who, Whitmer, who settled the island three years later, as, quote, a vegetarian who practiced nudism and intended to prove that you could attain the age of 140 if you lived according to nature as interpreted by his philosophy. It's like a new age hippie, but... Kind of, yeah. So he had a lot of really strange ideas. Like, he pulled all of his teeth before moving to the island um, because that would save on dental work. He was a dentist. (laughs) But he wasn't, though, because, like, I saw in one article that he was actually, he had met um, Dora. Dora? Is that how you're saying it? That's how I'm saying it, yeah. He met Dora because she was a patient, and he was treating her for multiple sclerosis. You know they thought everything tied together. (laughs) He probably was like, she has multiple sclerosis, and there's something with her teeth. I've got to yank them all out. Well, so I, I saw that he had yanked out his own teeth and mm-hmm. let hers just rot out of her mouth and then yanked them out with, like, gardening tools. Yep, 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 yep. And, and s- they shared a set of fake teeth. Yeah, and it was kind of unclear how the schedule worked. Your turn to eat. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. <laughs> Not just fake teeth. Stainless steel teeth. Ooh. I bet those were scary as fuck. Like, somebody should make a horror movie. I read an account of somebody saying, yes, indeed. Scary as fuck. <laughs> these things were terrifying. You could not even look at him. But they would share these teeth once her teeth all came out. But, like, I saw different accounts of either, like, he would hog them and use them all the time, or they would go, like, every other day schedule. <laughs> like, oh, it's my it's my day for the teeth. <laughs> Which is just so wonderfully oh. bizarre. So, yeah, Baby bird it, you think? Maybe. <laughs> so probably Maybe. a little bit because originally Ritter was like, I want to see how tough my gums will get mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. was just going to like gum everything. And then he made these fake teeth and, and used them as he saw fit. <laughs> just a really I really thought that dude. like George Washington's wooden teeth was frightening as a child, but this is way scarier. Yeah, I don't like the, uh, the, the stainless steel teeth. Actually, another... Account has them just taking the teeth out for special occasions. <laughs> mm. It's Christmas time to break out the false teeth. Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but only one gets them. <laughs> yeah. So one account of his whole tooth situation was that as a vegetarian he considered them superfluous, and as a dentist he no doubt dreaded having any kind of dental trouble on a lonely island with all the complications that might ensue. Or just wanted, like you said, his it was an experiment to see if his gums would toughen up. Or maybe all those things factored in. Yeah, because he also believed that any ailment could be cured with the power of your mind. So if you believed you don't get sick, you just don't get sick. And that's probably why he thought he would live to be 120. 140, actually. Oh. 140, yeah. Yeah, this guy's going to be around forever. He's got, he's got <laughs> no, big no, goals. No, he's not. <laughs> he's got big goals. Don't let your dreams be dreams, Frederick. So, like I said, they were both married. Two other people. She was also 15 years younger than him. She'd been his patient, and he told her that all she needed to do to get over her multiple sclerosis was just pull herself up by the bootstraps. Just need a good attitude, Dora. That'll chase away your chronic illness. (laughs) As it does. Oh, yeah, it works every time. But she bought it, and they at first found this sort of kinship in the idea of living far, far away from society. And when really it's, hey, it would be a lot easier to fuck each other if we were not here. Precisely. And wander around naked. Because why not? Yeah. 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 So Friedrich was also going to dedicate himself to writing philosophical masterpieces. 
He's that douche. <laughs> He's that douche. And you know, you know that his ball sack looked like two oranges in a pair of nylon. Like, <laughs> those fuckers were swinging so low. And then the metal teeth, and like, this is my mental image, and uh, Beast, if you're listening, draw this for me, please. Please draw it and send it to me. I might get it tattooed. <laughs> Gonna get that tattoo one way or the other, no matter what it is. Even if it's an old ball sack. So Yeah, I'm gonna get a half sleeve. It's really just gonna be the first two inches and then ball sack the whole way down. <laughs> Excellent. It's better than a ball sack tramp stamp. Yeah, true. <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah. They uh, built a house and settled on the island in July 1929. They named their settlement Frido, which is the first three letters of Friedrich. And the first two letters of Dora. So, Frito. Or Dorito. (laughs) Cheeto. We really like to end chipped and snack type things with O. Yes. Dorito, Frito, Cheeto. Taco. Taco. Yeah, burrito. So, they farmed the land, which really, I think, Friedrich kind of had the, the scales fall from his eyes early on when he realized that both writing philosophical masterpieces and surviving when there's literally no one around to help you do it were not going to be compatible on his schedule. Especially when you're a vegetarian on the Galapagos. That's gotta be... Yeah, yeah. Well, he wasn't a super strict vegetarian, though. No, he was not. He didn't really... He he had some leeway for himself. (laughs) Uh, If it was his day for the teeth, of course. Yeah. (laughs) But, like, they learned early on, so, like, they have to plant their food, which is a pain in the ass. But it was uh, lava rocks just everywhere, these heavy-ass lava rocks. And so I'm sure he was very bitter almost immediately by just having to move the lava rocks to prepare to plant things. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Oh, so they, uh, the relationship between Friedrich and Dora wasn't really Honeymoon City here. It wasn't even Honeymoon Deserted Island. Uh, She became more and more unable to help out significantly with their day-to-day tasks as her illness. Because she had MS and was not being treated. She had to use a cane. And really, Frederick seemed to look at this with nothing but contempt. Sometimes he would give her the silent treatment for days. No teeth for her. No, No teeth for you. Using that cane, I deserve the teeth. That, it really did nothing to dissuade her feelings for him. She still just adored him. Makes me kind of sad for her. Yeah. So on their half-acre farm, they had local things like bananas, coconuts, date palms, tamarinds, mangoes. They also had a hen house and about 20 chickens. On the island as well, there's wild oxen, cattle, donkeys. A lot of these actually got stranded with ships in earlier years. And then, you know, well... Ancestors got stranded with ships. <laughs> Cows don't live forever. There were also wild dogs and feral hogs causing some problems that had to be guarded against. Guarded against and bulls trampling I, gardens. I like gardened against. Actually, that well, was, you know, I actually, enjoy that. Yeah, yeah, you've got to garden against the dogs. <laughs> but I was very excited to hear about the wild hogs because they still get bacon. Well, maybe not Frederick, but fuck him. <laughs> yeah. But Frederick was a dick bag, so he had coffee and he wouldn't share it with Dora, and that right there is grounds for death. That is a sin. That's terrible. I have it. You can't have it. That's, no, not right. No. 
I read that and that was like, it made me furious and I have hated Frederick ever since. You were like, we are done, buddy. You are not going to share coffee? Are you serious? Death. Death. Yeah, absolutely. That that should be like a hanging event. He's a witch! <laughs> burn the witch. <laughs> or maybe not burn. We learned that burning on the island is bad. But definitely tie his thumb to his big toe and throw him in the ocean. The couple did get some attention from this little adventure, which started when a research party found them and published pictures of them in European papers. And luckily, they put clothes on for the pictures. Eventually. Well, for the pictures, yes. But we'll, we'll get to the, how the nudism worked with visitors, because there were a few really fun moments there. They I really didn't like this, having visitors. <laughs> Real fun, depending on who you are. Um, they would have, as, as it was put, gaily dressed women and merry men on American yachts that land on the lonesome shore. And Friedrich Ritter himself said, they will not be shaken off no matter how impolitely I receive them. <laughs> they continue to talk and ask questions, though we may remain silent for hours. It seems we are an irresistible attraction to these idle people. I cannot imagine anybody more socially awkward. <laughs> Literally silent for hours. <laughs> Just like staring at them, like, go away. <laughs> the nudism thing definitely probably started the awkwardness. They would spend their days working in just boots. So when Well, when you have an island to yourself. Exactly. And they had it to themselves for a while before people realized they were there and started coming and dropping by to visit and see the, the, the curious couple who, you know, runs the tiny little farm all by themselves. And you have to clean up for company, no matter what. So they had a sign and a bell that visitors could ring so the couple could be warned and then run to put on actual clothing. I'm sure this was put in place after some sort of memorable incident, like maybe this performance of the National Anthem by a German adventurer who visited in 1930? Naturally, this is him, the German adventurer. I felt somewhat embarrassed at intruding on, on these people and thought it best to announce myself. I did this by sing, singing the German National Anthem in honor of the fact that Dr. Ritter is from Berlin and his Eve, Dora Strauch, I had heard, was the wife of a Dresden schoolteacher. Before I had finished the second line, two absolutely naked figures, beautifully tanned, ran out of the roundhouse, stared at me a moment with open mouths, and then darted back again. I lingered right where I was, ready to dodge into the thicket in case they had gone back to get a rifle. However, the doctor soon reappeared, dressed in canvas pants and a white shirt. Eve, that's Dora, soon followed in a light blue cotton dress under which there was nothing but Eve. <laughs> So he's like, how can I announce myself to these people? Oh, I know. I'll sing the national anthem like normal people do instead of yelling out, hello, anybody home? <laughs> well, and I love, too, that you, they, they were beautifully tanned. No tan lines in sight. <laughs> yeah. Like, can you imagine? I don't know the, the German national anthem, but can you imagine somebody just rocking up to your house? Or like, let's say you're in your backyard gardening and somebody comes around the side of the house and they're like, Oh, say, can you see? Like, I, I would throw the bad tomatoes at them. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that uh, Dora and Frederick had the wrong approach in running back to the house. They should have just thrown some tomatoes, bananas, mangoes, whatever you got handy. Eggs. They got chickens. Their yeah. teeth. Their teeth. <laughs> <laughs> That's a 
beautiful mental image, Jay. I can picture them catching the light as they flip through the air. Just picture them with the teeth in naked and how weird that would look. You just see the teeth, like, kind of, you know, in the sun, the reflection in the sun. Just, it's just weird. <laughs> On the, the topic of the nudism, this is from Mars Van Grunsen in LitHub. Their nudism added to their allure, the rugged doctor and his mistress naked, creating their own Garden of Eden on a far-off island. I feel like that's romanticizing it a bit. Like, they were probably very saggy and very dirty. I imagine so, yeah. It was, showers and baths were kind of hard to come by because you didn't want to, um, you, you had a dry season, and you had a little bit of a rainy season. There was a freshwater source there, but it wasn't overflowing. You didn't want to run out. So, yeah. The, like, the, the, so I know how dirty I get gardening. And now I'm just imagining gardening naked. And I'm like, oh, oh my. Like, I still have dirt under my nails and I've washed my hands 37 times today. Because I picked, I picked carrots today. Yeah, exactly. And and you can barely even, like, wash your hands. Yeah. So, like, I in my head, I'm just like, oh, no. They were probably uh, something. They were something. And one thing we should note is you, you've already noticed there's a certain inhospitable vibe going on here. And I think that's important to keep in mind. Well, I mean, you moved to a deserted island to be alone. Well, yes, very much so. And Ritter was pretty strong in his stance. He said there will be no accommodations for guests in this house. Pretty much the only house on the island. There's an article in the Commercial Appeal that notes that he also had his rules, like the vegetarianism, which they wrote, vegetarianism rules the island and prohibition is strictly adhered to. On a desert island and you can't even drink some rum? Well, you'd have to make it. Yeah. yeah. Get it. They do have ships coming and visiting them. And when, when people come, they, they generally bring them gifts and supplies and stuff like that. So they're not completely cut off. And over the next few years, others tried and failed to follow in their footsteps. One of these people that came to try to settle the island and see what happened were the Whitmers. So we're moving on to our second group of people. So this was Heinz Whitmer, who was a World War I vet, and Margaret Whitmer, who was a city girl who worked in a bank until she married Heinz. He had a son, Harry, who was about 12, and that would be her stepson. So she married in. She was the stepmother. She and Harry seemed to get along just famously, though. Now, one thing I should note is that a lot of my quotes are going to come from Margaret Whitmer because she wrote a book about all this. So it comes directly from her. It's not too often that we get that in the old-timey times, directly from one of the principal people involved in an incident. So I, liked, I enjoyed that very much. That is pretty awesome. It was really interesting to see her point of view. These two married in December 1931, and a few weeks later, they were window shopping at a men's shop. Margaret was thinking of Christmas, and she said, Oh, you, you ought to buy a new suit, Heinz. He replied, Yes, or a rifle. I can't decide which. <laughs> rifle. She was very surprised by this. She was like, what? Wait, why? Do you need a rifle? <laughs> And he explained to her he had been doing some reading, and he got caught up by these accounts of Dr. Friedrich Ritter and his attempt to settle the island. Heinz had also read the book Galapagos, World's End by William Beebe. Beebe? You're such a Beebe. That was when 
Pines dropped the bombshell of what he'd been ruminating about while doing all that reading. Quote, in case we go to the Galapagos Islands, just for two or three years, you know, it might do as Harry's sanatorium. Hmm. Now, there's a little bit to unpack there. He's just throwing this at her that we're, we might go to a deserted or almost deserted island for two or three years. And then his idea that it's a, a sanatorium, well, his son had severe eye problems. And there were suggestions that they go to a sanatorium, but they couldn't really afford that. So they were like, well, we'll just make our own. We'll just take him somewhere where the, the weather is nice and, you know, the air is dry and a, a, nobody else exists. And there's absolutely almost no medical care. <laughs> yeah, that's, that seems like a great plan. I mean, most people would probably go like Arizona. But sure, the Galapagos makes sense. Sure, yeah, sure. Now, they weren't walking away from nothing. Heinz was the secretary to the mayor of Cologne. So he wasn't nobody. And he didn't even tell them that he was leaving. He didn't even give any notice. Just walked away. Well, he barely told his wife they were moving away. Yeah, exactly. Why would he bother to tell, you know, his work? And why would they uh, tell her family anything? You should get a new suit or a gun. We're moving. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. They just basically, like, they would see her, like, sister and I think her dad every weekend. They went for their usual visit. Didn't say a word. She were, might not have known yet. <laughs> well, possibly, yeah. And then they just, boom, left. Can you imagine that? Like, your sibling, well, actually, you kind of can. <laughs> you can relate to that a little bit. But having a sibling just, like, one day they're there and the next day they're not. And I, I can absolutely relate to that. Uh -huh. I have a brother who's been missing for uh, 19 years. Has anybody checked the Galapagos? Well, last we heard was South Carolina. He's changed his name around a couple times, and he may or may not still be alive. I'm assuming he is. Okay. I hope so. <laughs> but, yeah, it's, it's very much that question of are they even alive, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, there was very much that kind of weird, we're just going to ghost the hell out of literally everyone we know situation going on. Hey, Sean, if you're out there, call me. <laughs> There you go. <laughs> Harness the power of the podcast. Right. <laughs> they left. They went to Amsterdam first to prepare, and then they went, uh, left Amsterdam July 1932, going to, and I'm hoping I'm pronouncing this right, Guayaquil, Exodor. Exodor. Ecuador. <laughs> Ecuador. <laughs> then they were on the sea for a week. Uh, they went to Chatham, which is now called San Cristobal Island. This is the main Galapagos Isle. They were supposed to be taken to Floriana, but the captain transporting them was like, nope, I'm stopping here. Bye. <laughs> See you later. Close enough. Care. Swim. <laughs> exactly. Have fun hauling those chicken crates and your dogs. Because, <laughs> yes, they brought their dogs. So they were at Chatham. The Ecuadorian governor lived there. He put them up for three weeks and then finally got them a fishing boat to Floriana. This was an overnight trip to the island, but then the current pushed them away, and it took another three days. They were trapped on this little fishing boat with their dogs, their stepson, their chickens, <laughs> and all of their supplies. <laughs> well, you know what, though? They were moving to a deserted island with all those things, so it's, it's the same thing, just in a smaller space. I know, but you're really, that's a really tight space. I don't like it. They landed on August 28th, 1932. Happy birthday, Mom. Happy anniversary, Jackson. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Although they had to spend another night on the fishing boat before they could unload, because this is basically torture by inches. We're gonna, we're gonna spend so much time just going a foot and a half. <laughs> so are you sure that it was like they couldn't, or are, do you think the fisherman was maybe like lonely and just really wanted to fuck with them? Because it almost feels like he's like, I could, but I'm not gonna. He's like, oh gosh, this current, it keeps on pushing us away from the island. Oh no. When in reality, he probably was just really lonely and wanted somebody to talk to. Or mess with. Or mess with. Or both. Why not both? He might have been like the old guy that goes to Denny's at 5 a.m. just to like badger the waitress. <laughs> That's our modern day old fisherman. <laughs> yeah. When they arrived, they saw Post Office Bay and a few decrepit old houses. This was all that was left from a group of Norwegians who had tried to settle the island at some point, obviously with no success. On arrival, Margaret Whitmer described what they saw. We walked a little way over the gray sand, past the black blocks of lava, knowing that many of us, many before us, had tried to settle on this island, that all of those former settlers had failed, given up, gone away. We liked the name, however, and hoped it would really prove an asylum of peace, where we could live our own lives in peace and quiet. That was why we had come. Unfortunately, Floriana seemed to have been hostile to men ever since it was discovered. Unless it was the fault of the men, not the island, that these and later attempts to settle her here were all unsuccessful. She definitely, uh, <laughs> in writing this, she's looking back, I think, on like old diaries and such. She definitely has probably less of a rosy view than when they first arrived there. <laughs> I would bet, yeah. yeah. Like I said, they brought their two dogs. These were Alsatians, Hertha, and Lump. Hmm. Lump was only six weeks old when they uh, left Germany. And, of course, they had stepson Harry. Did I mention when they were just sailing around and around the island over and over again that Margaret was pregnant? Yeah, I bet the, the motion in the ocean really helped with, like, morning sickness. Oh, yeah, yeah, good times. I'm sure that was good times. Well, you know, there's a whole ocean to puke in. <laughs> there is. But also... Like, why, why during pregnancy would you be like, now's a really good time to move to an island with no medical care? I know. Well, they made the decision in December, or at least supposedly, that's when Heinz brought it up, December 1931. And it was in August. It, well, I think they started in, in July. So she gave birth in January. So she wouldn't have been pregnant when they decided. That was something that came along and they were like, nope, this is our plan. We're sticking to it. Doesn't seem like it even, like, dissuaded them one bit. They might not have even had any qualms. They were just like, oh, I'm pregnant. I'm going to be having a baby on the island. Oh, fun. <laughs> yeah. That'll be great. I'm going to have this baby in a cave. <laughs> oh, you laugh because you think I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what, though? I did, I did see from one source that Mary was kind of like, well... Ritter is a doctor, so, I mean, he's there. He'll help me deliver the baby. Yeah, she, she just assumed, well, there's this guy who has some medical training, and, you know, there we go. And we'll get to that, because it, it, it helps, but, it, man, it got dicey there. But that's that's a couple months away in there. That's what I would here. really want is a dentist oh, yeah. to deliver my children. They're a well nudist no dentist. A nudist, <laughs> nudist dentist, dentist. With metal teeth. <laughs> they, uh, they had some supplies. Uh, so I'll, I'll give you a little list of some of the things they had. Crates, boxes, hampers, sacks, cases, and plants we have brought with us. Bananas, sugarcane, coffee, yucca, camotes, which are sweet potato, otoy, which is a root vegetable, kind of another potato tuber-like thing, 
all in a jumbled, jumbled together. They also had lots of other stuff, including some chickens. But as far as furniture and a home, building it from scratch. One thing that was not a problem here was procuring tobacco. It thrived on the island, and that was good for Heinz. Because as Margaret says, Heinz, who liked to have his pipe going all day, when he went into the bush for any length of time, he took a little tin with a wire handle containing glowing embers so that he could always relight his pipe if it went out. Matches were too precious to be spared. So he has this little, like, fire starter with him. <laughs> or fire that, uh, like, glowing embers, just coals. I don't know how you keep that going. Wouldn't that be hot if you put it in a tin? Like, I would, I think that would burn you pretty badly. Well, the Americans would do it in pelches. They'd put coals in pelches so they could light okay. fire wherever. Well, it did say that have a, it says it has a wire handle. So the heat might not transfer up into the wire, depending. Well, yeah, if it was in a pouch, it wouldn't. But if it was all metal, I it's all metal, think it maybe, would. Yeah. I think it would get hot. Yeah, you would think it would. I don't know. Maybe he's burning his hands all the time. The couple and their son arrived, and they decide, of course, we have to make a social call. We should visit our neighbors, our new neighbors, and introduce ourselves. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to do that. Margaret Whitmer said, I suppose it was their example that had given us the idea of coming here in the first place. If they could do it, so could we. That's not how it works. That's not how it works at all. Uh, we all have different capabilities and knowledge bases and... <laughs> Like, <laughs> what Jay, we can withstand. Jay over here can do some shit that I certainly cannot. I, <laughs> I think Jay would probably have a lot better chance of surviving on that island. <laughs> He's out in the wilderness a lot more than most of us are. <laughs> the Ritter, well, Dr. Ritter and Doris Stouch, they seemed a bit withdrawn, as we would expect. They weren't super thrilled about having neighbors, although Dr. Ritter did ask how things were going back in Germany. It's the early 30s, so I'm sure they had an interesting conversation. Things are great. There's this uh, Hitler guy. Got a tiny mustache. I don't know how that's going to work out. I guess we'll just wait and see. <laughs> there was, like I said, a cave. There was a pirate cave. Whenever pirates came to the island, they would stay there. And that was to be home for the Whitmer family until they could build a house. Took them a week just to haul all of their belongings to it. This was more on the inner island. And as far as relationships between the two now families, as we'll put it on this island, uh, not super friendly at first. Frederick refused to lend his donkey to help them move. Dora, it seemed, they were pretty sure was going through their things when they weren't around. You know, like maybe sneaking down to the beach while they were hauling stuff up and pawing through to see, you know, what they had. Uh, they did make a trade of some ham for some vegetables, though. It's kind of surprising that it went the other way, you would think. Frederick wanted the ham. <laughs> he, he wasn't a very strict vegetarian. He wasn't really very strict about it. No, no, he wasn't. Margaret, meanwhile, is dealing with her whole pregnancy thing. It is September now. She's due in December. And despite her expectations that Frederick would help them with the delivery... And he wasn't so on board with that. Margaret was worrying about her first time giving birth. Again, she doesn't have any children yet. This is her first time. Margaret and Heinz had this kind of conversation. And when Frederick came by, she said, You'll help me, won't you, Dr. Ritter, when the time comes? His response was, I'm afraid not. I didn't come to Floriana to practice as a doctor. I can't sit around here all the time, can I? I've got too much to do. You can let me know if you need me. 
mean, they're not next door neighbors. It's a bit of a haul to get him. And uh, so, but these, they just, they weren't friends. I really liked the way that Mars Van Grunsen put it. Frederick and Dore, however, kept their distance from the more conventional newcomers who didn't even read Nietzsche. <laughs> I just love it. Hey, old-timey, crimey fans. If you're enjoying this story, you'll love what we've got going on over on the Patreon. That's patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey, where we give our beloved patrons five bonus episodes every month for just $5 a month. There you'll find content like our series on the Aurora Murderers, when a still to this day unknown killer roamed the streets of Aurora, Illinois, bludgeoning women in churchyards and cemeteries. As well as our weekly bonus episodes where we talk about stuff like the Halloween lesbian murder and London's all-female gang, the 40 Elephants. And then there's our monthly extra extras where we each bring a case the other hasn't heard of yet. With a theme like murder ballads, murders involving weapons from Clue, or Amber's favorite, fire! So come on over to patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey for over 150 bonus episodes and new ones coming every week. That's patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. Do it. <laughs> nice. I mean, getting by and keeping things going on this island, it was rough. Their shoes were falling apart, had fallen apart. They had to go barefoot. So she's literally barefoot and pregnant. Yes, she is. <laughs> yes, she is. They did shoot a bull that had been trampling the garden. and That's one way to get it to stop. Exactly. Well, you're, you got you to gotta garden against it. <laughs> and, and she hoped to make shoes out of the hide. Uh, they also used the meat, of course, and the fat of the kidneys went to making candles. So in this cave, we use every part of the bowl. <laughs> well, and that, that's what the Native Americans used to do as well. And, like, you have to use all the parts. Like, don't You don't want to waste it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. A little bit of a downer moment. Sometimes shooting things did not go so well. One night, they were asleep in the cave with the dogs. Now, there was just recently, the past couple, couple nights, there had been wild dogs kind of harassing them. During the day, the wild dogs would sneak into the cave and kind of partake of the family's meat. They because would... they're animals and hungry and you have food. Exactly. Oh, that, that, that's a whole thing. Okay, let me, let me interrupt my own story to explain something that I didn't put into the notes because I had so much stuff already. They had a conversation about the bull that I mentioned just now. And this was between Heinz and Margaret. And Margaret was like... Well, I kind of feel bad, you know, we're infringing on his territory. And Heinz, I don't know if this is some weird German philosophy or something, but he's like, it's not really his territory because we live here now. Maybe his ancestors' territory, but it doesn't belong to him anymore. <laughs> like, he was very firm on, no, don't you be feeling sorry for that bull that was an animal just doing animal things. <laughs> just a, kind of a, an interesting stance. So they'd also, back to the dog's story, they'd been trapping dogs near their cave every night. So they were kind of on edge about this, and this is how Margaret described what happened. We were awakened by wild barking. Heinz got up, took his gun, and went outside. In the faint moonlight, we saw the dim outline of a dog on a rocky ledge. He knew it couldn't be one of our dogs, for Hertha was tied up outside the tent, and Lump slept with Harry. 
Heinz fired. When he came back to the tent, he saw to his horror that Hertha was no longer on the chain. She had torn free, run ahead of Heinz, and waited for him on the rock. The next morning, we found our loyal friend's body there, shot by her master by mistake. Ooh, ouch. Yeah, that's a rough one. That's a rough one. So they'd had their ups and downs. Mostly ups involving shooting bulls and downs involving shooting dogs, apparently. You'd think that would be maybe a little lonely there, but Margaret said that they were content. Solitude? We did not feel lonely. Our day, the short tropical day, was full, so full we had no time for brooding. Theaters, films, entertainment, we did not miss them. From our cave, we had a wonderful view over the sea. In the evening, we could watch glorious sunsets, bright birds wheeling around, and the flowers shining in their brilliant colors. All that more than made up for the life of civilization that we had left behind. Well, and you're so busy just trying to survive that you don't really miss that. You don't have time to think about. Yeah, yeah. That's essentially what she's saying. She's like, we're so busy, we don't have time to be lonely. <laughs> like, it's just, it doesn't occur to us. So Margaret is getting bigger and bigger as her pregnancy progresses. And then she goes into labor. As you do. As you do. It happens, yes. She was actually alone when she started to, you know, get close to the point where she was going to give birth. She was going in search of Heinz and Harry. They, they were living in kind of their house at the time. It was somewhat livable at that point in time. But she was like, okay, Heinz and Harry are gone. She's trying to find them. She ends up in the cave. The birth just starts. So she gave birth to her son, Rolf, in a pirate cave. Which is awesome. It's the coolest birth story ever. Dude was born in a pirate cave. I love that. I think that's fantastic. It was after the birth that she knew she was in real trouble because she was still in paralyzing pain. They did fetch Friedrich. He did an operation on her without rubber gloves or any anesthetic. Of course. And of course, she did survive. They said, you know, what do we owe you for this? <laughs> he said, well, you know, you don't owe me any money and what would we do with money here anyhow? But, you know, you can bring uh, some of your pig meat down because my, my chickens just love the dried pork. Yeah, it's my chickens that love it. <laughs> my chickens love it. <laughs> they love it. I don't eat meat. No. I would never eat it. No, 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 not me. What are you talking about? This was kind of the status of things uh, with the two families surviving next to each other, sort of. Not working mutually for any common goal very often, but when somebody really needs something, okay, I guess I'm there. And Margaret and Dora, they particularly didn't super like each other, but then along came someone who would give them a gift. Mutual dislike of a third party. <laughs> Nothing spices up a friendship like this. I really feel, though, that a lot of friendships are formed on hatred of the same people. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it is very true. Introducing the Baroness and her entourage. We're getting fancy here. This is Austrian-born Eloise Verborn de Wagner-Bosquet. And uh, Stephen Holden in the New York Times calls her, quote, a toothy, bright-eyed diva with an avid gleam in her eye. She never went anywhere without her most cherished possession, a copy of Oscar Wilde's The Picture of Dorian Gray. She, I'm thinking of her as the manic pixie nightmare girl. Yes. <laughs> That's, 
And as any manic pixie nightmare girl would do, she decided when she arrived that she was the Empress of Floriana. <laughs> I'm here, give me my crown, bitches. And she began really as she meant to continue. She, she started off on a certain foot and that was the way she was going to go. That's a pun that'll catch up to you in just a minute. Her first encounter with the Whitmers and Dora and Friedrich happened in October when an Austrian the Whitmers had known from their time on Chatham brought the Baroness to the island. Every time I say Baroness, imagine scare quotes around it because I can only emphasize it so many times without feeling ridiculous. Now, she did not come alone. She brought her lovers. Plural. Plural. These were two German men, Robert Philipson and Rudolf Lorenz. They also had a servant along for the ride, an Ecuadorian named Manuel Valdivieso. And uh, Dora called them all the Baroness's servile gigolos. Which really is a compact way of saying everything you need to say. It's, you gotta admire the phrasing. You gotta. Classy. It is, yeah. Now that first day, it was just the Baroness and Rudolf Lorenz. And they made quite an impression on their new neighbors. And probably Whoopi. Yeah, 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 yeah. This was uh, Margaret's recollection. Now I saw a small, slim woman of about 40 riding up on a donkey. Walking by the side of the donkey was a young man with flaxen hair, perhaps in his late 20s. The Baroness dismounted. Where's the spring? She demanded imperiously, foregoing any of the normal courtesies. Rather taken aback, I pointed towards the spring. Just over there. She went over to it, followed by Lorenz, who took off her shoes like a devoted servant and proceeded to wash her feet thoroughly in our drinking water. (laughs) That's how you make a good first impression on your neighbors. Everybody, okay, when you go over to meet your new neighbors for the first time, whether you're moving in or they just moved in, go to their sink and have somebody wash your feet in them, even if you have to bring like a stool or a chair or a stepladder. No, 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 you go in their fridge and you open up their Brita pitcher. And shove your foot in there? Shove your foot in there and then stick it back in their fridge. There you go. You've got the right idea. What was I thinking with a sink? That water just goes down the drain. No, <laughs> none of that. So silly of me. And the Baroness did not have such a great first interaction with Frederick and Dora either. Well, and Frederick already hates everybody, so. He is predisposed to hating you from the moment he realizes you're a human being or anything on this earth with him, essentially. Now, the Baroness, when she arrived, she came into Post Office Bay and picked up the mail. She dropped all of it off with the Whitmers, saying, hey, I'm sure there's some stuff for the other family on this island, if you could deliver it to them. They did that the next day, and then Friedrich was pretty upset because he saw that the mail was opened. She's even taken photos out of some of them, the dirty bitch, he said. (laughs) He's just salty from go. (laughs) Like, he is salty from go. But also, the bitch did open up their mail. That is true. That is true. And the two families were assuming, and probably correctly, that the Baroness was trying to sow dissension among them. That's why she'd set it up to look like the Whitmers opened the mail. hmm Yeah. Sneaky. She is sneaky. So, Friedrich, maybe it seems like, His reaction is a bit much for somebody who's never met this woman, but he had. Despite the fact that she had said, hey, could you drop the mail off with your neighbors? They then went to see the neighbors. She and Lorenz had tried to stay the night with Friedrich and Dora. Margaret related the story as Friedrich told it. 
The lady had to make do with a hammock, and she got pretty cold, so she told Lorenz, this gentleman-in-waiting of hers, to light a fire in our stove. As you can imagine, we weren't too pleased to have her giving orders like that in our house, and Dora told her in no uncertain terms. In the end, she went up to Post Office Bay, highly offended, breathing fire and slaughter against us. Well, good. She can use that fire to start her fucking own. Exactly, yes. And maybe with her own wood and, you know, kindling and stuff that she gathers. Mm -hmm. And matches. We talked about how matches were our scarcity. She's, like, trying to use all the resources without even asking and not thinking about how incredibly valuable those resources are in this environment. Well, because she just has her manservants, and we don't need to think about those things. Exactly, exactly. She is a fancy, fancy woman, and as such, she was not just going to make some humble stone and thatch house in which to live. As always, when word gets around about something unique, someone, the Baroness, wanted to capitalize it, capitalize on it. She decided the island would be the perfect place for a luxury hotel. Rudolph and Robert were also going to be the architect and engineer for the hotel. Mm -hmm. What qualifications they had for this, we don't know. Probably, I'm going to guess, zero. So the men in her party built a sort of homestead to act temporarily as their their home, and she named it Hacienda Paradiso, (laughs) which was also the intended name for the hotel, of course. Now, there are tales of her. Rumors and, and stories about her behavior on the island and off. There were lots. So there were tales of her promiscuity, which, aside from the fact that she had two lovers, which, no judgment, you do you, this also centered around her sleeping with the governor of the Galapagos. Which, afterwards, she started referring to herself as queen, which, I didn't know sleeping with the governor meant you automatically outranked him. It's a really little-known role in uh, in governance and uh, somehow also royalty. (laughs) Another story went around in which some newlyweds out on their honeymoon on a nearby island had tried to do a little pleasure cruise. They went astray and ended up landing on Floriana. They were greeted by the Baroness, who staunchly refused to help them and actually chased them back out to sea with a pistol, all while wearing shorts and a bra. Mm -hmm. I kind of do like her style there. (laughs) Just the fact that she did it in shorts and a bra, that's all. There was, uh, and this was a story that was related in Margaret Whitmer's book, an accident in which while out hunting... The Baroness shot a visitor to the island, somebody who had been reluctant to stay with her and wanted to stay with one of the other families on the island. Now think about this. Think about that while I tell you the next bit. Some of the stories about her version of hunting. Mm, yeah, okay. I was, I was actually going to say that, yes. You can go ahead with it. Uh, she, would, she liked to shoot the animals in the legs, and she actually sometimes liked to nurse them back to health. Like, it gave her some sort of sick pleasure, and also it was said that maybe she had accidentally shot that person just so he couldn't run away from her and she could then nurse it back to health and have her way. Misery style. Exactly, exactly. And the day, the day just before the accident, the day of the accident just prior to it, she said to someone... I've got a terrible habit, you know. I prefer to shoot animals in the leg. Then I catch them and nurse them till they're all right again, the poor creatures. Gee, I wonder what was on her mind when she fired that shot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she actually shot the wrong person. She was intending to shoot the other guy that she wanted. It, yeah, but, but yeah. I'm sure she slept with both of them anyway. Yeah. It seemed to be her style. 
I wonder if that works. Like, I want to start picking up men that way. Just, like, shoot them in the leg. Just shoot them in the leg. <laughs> Get out of way now. You're mine. I'll make you better. <laughs> Talk about a captive audience. There was also a case. It, this is really not a good uh, day for animals here. <laughs> no. But, you know, if you shot an animal that she decided was hers, uh, you were in trouble. She refused to put up a man who had come to the island wanting to spend some time there writing. He was not the clientele she had in mind for her fancy hotel. And then when everyone else refused him, he was heading back to his boat and he was like, oh, well, there's a calf. I'll, I'll shoot that calf and take it home. She freaked out, said it was her calf, sicked her boys on this dude and his guide, and then had her guys destroy their raft. So they couldn't leave. There were like these Byzantine crazy arrangements that had to be made just to get this guy and his guide off the island. Like they had to like find another boat and like ride, drive it all the way, like not drive, but sail it all the way around the island. Yeah. It was crazy. Well, there's a lot of stories though that she actually had like borderline personality disorder. There are also stories that she was a spy. Or that. But uh, she definitely had something going on because like we did not think things through. No, no, she was very impulsive. Yeah, yeah, she was very impulsive. Now, aside from the stories about her, uh, her very existence on the island, along with her flair for drama and what I call aggressive quirkiness. Aggressive quirkiness. <laughs> I like it. Thank you. This all turned the spotlight on her, which meant that all those oh-so-hated visitors to the island tended to bestow their gifts on the Baroness and her entourage Rather, rather than either of the two families who had come to depend on them. Well, yeah, because the Baroness might fucking shoot them if they don't go to her first. Like, you have to appease the one with the gun. Or she would just steal them. They, people would leave things down at the beach and say, hey, you know, can you take this to, to Friedrich and Dora? Or can you take this to Margaret and Hines? Here's some milk for the baby. No, she stole that. She stole, literally stole a baby's milk. <laughs> like, come on. Or she would demand that they share the gifts that were brought to them. She was like, well, what's my cut? They're like, you just got here. You haven't even built a real house yet. Things like shoes, clothes, tools, food, and milk. This is a story Friedrich told. One of her lovers had caught a wild cat. Now the Baroness showed in disgusting ways her love of animals. She's the only wild cat that should be on this island. Oh no, it goes in a totally different direction. Yeah. There's only enough room for one cougar on this island. <laughs> <laughs> She took milk into her mouth and kissed the cat. She gave the milk from mouth to mouth to the animal. The milk was originally determined for the Whitmer baby, but the Baroness fed a cat with this valuable infant food. She, she baby birded the milk to the cat. That's really weird. I feel like I've met this woman before. <laughs> you probably dated her. <laughs> I feel like that's possible. Yeah, I'm getting some legs. PTSD right now. <laughs> like, do you have like a wound somewhere on your leg? Like, <laughs> While she fed the cat, her cows and calves starved. A half-starved cow was tied up on the floor. The lovers were trying to squeeze out the last drop of milk of this poor creature. The skeleton of the calf lay beside the dying cow. Here's the next phrase, which is, oof. her bleeding asses were also waiting for their end. <laughs> Boy, that reads differently these days than it did in the 1930s. What did she do to her harem? <laughs> right? <laughs> My bleeding asses. They were very naughty. The chickens were beaten uh, as well. So uh, the Baroness had also beaten her lovers. The Indian, uh, he refers to them as an Indian, 
Belle de Vioso has already left, but the Saxonian Lorenz finds no opportunity to escape. We'll get to that. But you can really see the hatred coming from Friedrich in his writing. Not that I have... This is one of the few cases where he's justified. Mm -hmm. <laughs> his hatred is actually justified. He said, She's acting and telling lies so well that all strangers believe her immediately. She rolls all the facts and she tells a lot of bad and false things about us. There is always something that sticks to us from the lies. So Madame probably wants to drive us to despair that we, so that we would leave the island exasperated. The Baroness and Philipson unite Viennese nobility decadence, Apache's behavior, and Parisian prostitutes trickery, as well as Berlin Judaism. With this toxic cocktail, the two fight against us. The hatred grows to infinity. We are curious how the drama will end. I would like to say I'm impressed by the economy of his writing, the way he's able to unite ethnophobia and racism and misogyny and anti-Semitism. A very loaded statement. <laughs> one single toxic cocktail of a sentence. <laughs> and you just tip it back and then you kind of choke on it. <laughs> I'm, I'm starting to wonder if he uh, left on his own accord or it was like, you just need to leave. There's this <laughs> island nobody lives on and you can't hurt anybody's feelings. Go there. <laughs> yeah, everybody was just like, you know what, Friedrich, we've had enough of your bullshit. <laughs> but it was Germany in the 19, late 1920s and when he left, so they were probably fine with the anti-Semitism at the very least. <laughs> that part, perhaps, but not all of it. I'm, I'm sure that most people were happy to see him go. Oh, yeah, yeah. This all kind of sums up the tension between the groups. You can see all of this going on, and then... And then after all that, there's still internal strife in the Baroness's party. The Baroness and Robert Phillips, Philipson seem to be dominating Lorenz and sort of icing him out. <laughs> One account has the Baroness introducing Philipson as my sunny boy to a visitor to the island, while Lorenz seems to have been relocated to being introduced as the German cook. <laughs> he, in turn, Lorenz, took his troubles to his neighbors seeking sympathy with his stories of mistreatment from his lover and her other lover. Even though he said the Baroness had warned him never to speak to the Whitmers. So the Whitmers took him in when he came to them, but the very fact that he couldn't survive on his own really kind of made Margaret disdain him. She didn't think a good German would be so dependent on those around him. But they were like, so they were beating him regularly and they were not feeding him. Yeah, yeah. They would take all the good food. She would have like rice and milk and he would have scraps, if that. He was dangerously skinny. And he was, he was treated basically the same that she treated the animals. Yeah. Yeah, just, I'm going to tie you up here and you can die. Yeah, she really just saw him as an object, just like she saw the animals as an object. So, he told the Whitmers some of the Baroness's background, or at least his version of it, which is really interesting. This is as it was, as Margaret relates it to us. Her husband's a Frenchman called Bosquet, and she signs herself Baroness Wagner de Bosquet. He was an airman in the war. Then he became a businessman and met her in Constantinople. She was a dancer there. Before that, during the war, I mean, she was a spy, so I've heard. Don't know if it's true, but when you know her, you wouldn't put it past her. You have thoughts, and I'm waiting for them. No, I was actually just distracted by the pad falling off the wall. Oh, is that what that noise was? Yeah. <laughs> Get in here. 
Stay put. Gravity is not her friend. I feel like that's how the Baroness treats her lovers. <laughs> she just pounds them into the wall. Like Get I did. in there. Stay put. Like I did with that soundproofing. <laughs> Lorenz also admitted that, yes, the Baroness had opened some of the mail, including some of the Whitmers, because she wanted to know who they were in touch with. He later told them that originally this whole bitch. All right, I'm leaving it. <laughs> Fuck it. This whole thing had been a partnership between him and the Baroness, and back then she treated him much better to the extent that he gave her all of his savings for this project. As he put it, I gave her all my savings before we came here, and how does she treat me? I'm just good enough to herd her cows and fetch water. He also said at one point that Philipson had threatened to shoot him if he ever saw him again. So for a while after that, he lived with the Whitmers, and the Baroness would come every other day, kind of, you know, sing-songy, lure him out, siren style. She had something she had to say to him, and he would be gone with her for hours. When he came back, he would look cheerful and relaxed, but every single time, eventually, the tears would start. So whatever happened, and we don't know, he never told the Whitmers, but whatever happened on these little walks or these little chit-chats was maybe good, but also bad. Or she was telling him lies that he would believe when he was with her, but then when he got back to the Whitmers, eventually it would hit him that, oh yeah, that's right, she's a lying liar who lies. Am I the only one that's just like, no, they fucked. He was happy for that's a minute. That's what I was thinking. And, yeah. then, and then he was like, oh, I need to stop doing it. <laughs> See, I think it's that and, like, lies. I think she's both, like, sexually yeah, well, manipulating the, the lie, and emotionally manipulating. The lie is probably, I care about you. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. and so he's really happy for a minute, and as soon as all those endorphins wear off, he's like, stupid, stupid, <laughs> stupid. But she's also probably <laughs> promising to leave Philipson, you know. Or bring him back into the menage. Exactly, yeah. So I'm sure there's a lot, like, I, I do know that there had to have been some sex there. There certainly is. That whole, like, he came back cheerful and relaxed, you know? <laughs> so there was that. But, you know, then eventually, like, everything with him, I think there was also some, she was feeding him some lies and manipulation because she seems like the type to manipulate on every front that she can. Physical violence, emotional manipulation, psychological tricks, and, of course, her sexuality. Oh, yeah. And I bet she was getting lots of rum. I feel like she probably had all the rum. I think she had a lot of rum, yeah. There yeah. was a description of, of some of the stuff in her belongings, and there was definitely rum there. Now, while this is going on, Philipson was sending articles about the island and their life there to the European press. The Whitmers got a batch of mail, and they got to read one of these articles. I'm surprised she allowed that. Oh, no, 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 no. This was her propaganda arm. Oh, I know, but, like, I'm surprised that they oh, that got she, their mail. Yeah, that's true, yeah. They probably had to, like, have a sentinel down at Post Office Bay to make sure they got it. So this was the headline. Revolution on Pacific Island. Woman proclaims herself empress. Local opposition imprisoned. This is a bit from the article. An Austrian baroness with her private army of aristocratic freebooters has established her rule over the small Pacific island of Floriana. Dr. Friedrich Ritter, the former Berlin dentist who opposed her reign of terror, has been captured and put in chains. This has not happened. <laughs> this is all bullshit. Yes. And, oh my gosh. Okay, you want to talk about bullshit? The movie somebody made when they were inspired by her. The Empress of Floriana. This was a short film. A millionaire captain had been entranced by the Baroness. 
So he came and made this film. The Baroness played herself, although her character is listed as the Piratess. And Robert Philipson played her lover, so he's going method there. The film's director and a member of the ship's crew uh, played a newlywed couple. They were both males uh, who got shipwrecked in Floriana, run into the Piratess Baroness and her lover, and bad things happen. Sounds kind of like that tale that was told of the Baroness chasing away the newlyweds. At some point after this, uh, the Baroness and Robert made ready to leave. It was March of that year, 1934, and they said they were going to go to Tahiti. That would be a better place to realize her plans. That's only about 4,100 miles away. So, uh, quick jaunt. Quick jaunt over to Tahiti. So, before Tahiti, though, because she just really liked to start shit, she sent Philipson over, who stole Ritter's donkey, brought it to Whitmer's garden, set it loose, and then Hines shot it, thinking it had gone feral, just to start shit between the two of them. Oh, she was so good at starting shit. She was a petty Betty, and she had no qualms about it. No, and she's just like, this is going to be hilarious. <laughs> and it's brilliant because you're not only, like, you're, you've got three points of triangulation there. And you're like, I'm going to make him mad at them, and them mad at him, and so on. Yeah, it's, it's just, she's really good at manipulating people. And situations. So she comes up to tell Margaret about this planned trip. And even said the trip would be via a yacht. That one of their wealthy friends was going to come and pick them up. She also told Margaret that Lorenz was to look after what she left behind. Until she sent word to him or came back to the island. Now, Lorenz wasn't around the Whitmer's house when the Baroness came to deliver her farewell. And when he was told of it later, he insisted that this was just a ruse to get him down to their property so that Philipson could bump him off. Still, he went there later that night. And he was gone for two whole days. And then he came back with a tale. This is how Margaret tells us what he said. He had stood outside the Hacienda Paradiso for a long time, and then ventured inside at last to find it empty indeed, deserted. The donkeys were gone. So were most of the Baroness's and Philipson's things. He went down to the, Nor the Norwegian chalet in Post Office Bay and found some footprints in the sand. Otherwise, he had found no trace of them on the island, despite two days' search. There are other accounts that have them leaving nearly everything behind, mm -hmm. so it kind of varies back and forth. They talked to Friedrich about that, and he said, well, if a ship had come in, I'd have seen it. And so Margaret tells us how he and Dora reacted to this news that the Baroness and one of her lovers were gone. Friedrich said, Dora, come out here. There's some interesting news. When she heard, she danced for joy, almost forgetting her bad leg. Then she made us some hot chocolate and fetched all sorts of delicacies from her storeroom. We had never seen her so cordial, but Ritter was strikingly silent and seemed far from his usual self. We were spared all philosophical discourse. <laughs> then Friedrich told Lorenz that the sooner he left, the better, and he should sell anything that was left in the Baroness's hotel that he didn't want to take with him back to Germany. Who would he sell it to? Well, Friedrich, of course. And technically, it's true that everything left behind was Lorenz's, if he's telling the truth about him financing all this. So... There is, I think, 
that interesting discrepancy here because those two accounts both come from Margaret's recollection. So first she's like, Lorenz says that nothing is left down at the Hacienda. And then she says, well, Ritter, Dr. Friedrich went hog wild going through all the crates and boxes and says that there's like tons of stuff and he's buying it all off of Lorenz. So that seems a little shady to me that she's kind of trying to play both sides of it there and definitely seems to be throwing some suspicion towards Friedrich. And Margaret did say she expressed her concern that the Baroness might come back for her thanks. And she reported that Friedrich, quote, merely shook his head and said with conviction, almost as if he had private knowledge he was not going to give us. She won't come back. Take my word for it. She's definitely setting him up to look suspicious here. I don't know if it's the case that he is. We only have her recollection of this particular exchange. So another source says that Dora has a very, very different account of events. Mm -hmm. That Dora heard a long, unmistakable scream the night that they left. There were no ships passing. And... All of her items were there, including items that she would want to take on a very short journey. And also, I just want to point out that this island has acacia wood uh, readily available, which burns hot enough to destroy bone. Throwing it out there. And the thing about that story is... Convenient. That is convenient, yeah. There's also, you know, tides. There's tides. Um, And sharks. So... The thing was that this was later brought up. And lots of starving animals in her own little yard. (laughs) Some of them probably a little pissed off at her. Right? So this this idea that they heard shots and screams, Margaret and Hines later disputed that. They said Frito, their their home, was three miles from Hacienda Paradiso with 1,800-foot mountains between. So either they have super hearing or they're full of shit. <laughs> so I don't know. It's kind of, both sides are definitely playing this game here. And I, I don't actually, I only kind of land on one side or the other, but uh, we'll get to that later. And then, of course, there was the idea that, you know, like I said, Friedrich said she won't come back. Take my word for it. And Margaret was like, well, you, you said you'd see a ship if one had come in and you didn't. And he changed his story then. He said, well, I wouldn't see a ship unless it came round to Black Beach. Anyhow, they are gone. Gone for good. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, well. Oh, shucks. Now, Dora definitely had that idea with the screaming and everything. And so there's kind of like theories that she developed around that. She thought Lorenz either finally took a stand or lost his shit and killed the Baroness and Philipson. Then he ran to the Whitmers and told them what happened, and they helped him, you know, just make it all go away. Friedrich, on the other hand, he really just pointed the finger directly at Margaret. And he said that the Whitmers immediately took the Baroness's plantation into possession. So they're both casting blame on the other side. And they're both still mad about the donkey incident. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, that that donkey was, you know, an ass. So Margaret also had her thoughts about the incident. She didn't think that Lorenz could have overpowered both Philipson and the Baroness. His health had been pretty shitty. They had overworked him. He didn't eat much. And he may have had tuberculosis. She and Heinz theorized that maybe... 
Lorenz could have snuck up on the couple somehow. And then, like I said, high tide and sharks. Now, as for the Baroness and Robert, no one ever saw them on Tahiti, and they were never seen again. That's pretty much it for those two. I'm about to take off my pants. <laughs> it's roasting. All right, so we have opened the window because it's very hot in the studio, so you may hear some, you know, like... Island noises! Island noises, there we go! Yes, the insects singing us to sleep. <laughs> so, on our island paradise. Oh, by the way, my show notes are uh, Purgatory in Paradise. Mine's Upside Down Pineapple. Oh, yeah, there you go. Now, that, that Ecuadorian servant we mentioned, he also left, although his whereabouts at least were known. The next time a boat swung by Floriana, he hitched a ride. By Margaret's telling, which kind of compresses events to the extent that I got confused about the timeline, that may have even been before the Baroness and Philipson vanished. He probably was just sick of their shit. Rudolph Lorenz also set out from Floriana, hopping a ride with a fisherman. His plan was to go to San Cristobal and then to Ecuador. He and Lorenz did not make it. A, Shocker. I know, right? A millionaire oil magnate railway king who was out on his yacht. Uh, he found, or at least was alerted to, the presence of dead and mummified bodies on an island that had no freshwater source. Those were Lorenz and the fishermen. And he came to the obvious conclusion, as did everybody else, died of thirst. So the only remainder of the Baroness, Robert Philipson, and Rudolph Lorenz on the island is this greeting that they had left at Post Office Bay not long after their arrival. Whoever you are, friends, Two hours from here is Hacienda Paradise, a little spot where the weary traveler is happy to find some rest, refreshment, and peace on his way through life. Life, this little bit of eternity chained to a clock, is so short after all, so let us be happy, let us be good. At Paradise, you have no name but one, friend. We will share with you the salt of the sea, the vegetables of our little garden, the fruit of our trees, the fresh water running down from the rocks. We will share with you what other friends who passed by gave us. <laughs> no, you won't. We will spend with you some moments of life and give you the happiness and peace that God put into our heart and mind since we have left the restless turmoil of the metropolis to the quiet of centuries which has laid its mantle upon the lonely, romantic, miraculous Galapagos. Now, it was originally signed, according to Margaret, just Baroness Wagner. And then, in later accounts of this, there's also the names Robert Philipson and Rudolf Lorenz. I really wonder who added those names. I'm curious. Or if maybe Margaret just didn't mention them because she wanted it to look like the Baroness was the one with, you know, a giant entitled stick up her ass. <laughs> and then, soon after that, the cold hand of death came for yet another settler on the island. In November, by Dora's account, she and Frederick had resorted to eating meat because a drought had made vegetables harder to come by. They had a jar of potted pork that had gone bad, so they fed it to the chickens, and almost all of them died. They then boiled them up. Friedrich said the poison would be boiled out of them. Five days after boiling and then jarring the chicken, Friedrich and Dora opened a jar. Dora said, oh, this is still off, and Friedrich said, boil it again. <laughs> That's the answer. That's that's the answer. They both ate it. Double-boiled chicken. Double-boiled... <laughs> poison chicken. Poison chicken. 
They both ate it and Friedrich got very bad food poisoning or something. Interestingly, Doris seemed right as rain, despite having eaten the same chicken that was thought to have killed Frederick. She said she had been sick right after eating it, and then after that was just fine. Meanwhile, Frederick's tongue was swelling, he lost vision, among other symptoms. Doris said the last thing he'd said comprehensively was that it would be a very funny thing indeed if he, as a vegetarian, was going to die of meat poisoning. <laughs> At least he sees it. Give the guy some props for self-awareness. Yeah, we'll give him that. And Dora took a full day to go and seek some help from the Whitmers. A little weird. Well, if she was sick too, though. She was sick immediately, but after that, she was fine. Hmm. She, she took over 24 hours. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. She was probably just sick of his shit. Was like, you know what? We're just going to oh. wait this one out. No, she loved him. She loved him. Both of the women, Margaret and Dora, attended Friedrich's deathbed, which makes for some really interesting variations in their recollections. And uh, Mars van Grunsen puts it like this. Their accounts of his last moments differ wildly. Dora described a loving exchange of tenderness, but according to Margaret, he looked at Dora with hatred. Unable to speak, he grabbed a piece of paper on which he wrote, right before he died, I curse you with my dying breath. And uh, Margaret said as Friedrich's time wound down, every time Dora came near him, he would move as if, as if to kick or hit her. And uh, this also in her account, he seemed to be just filled with hatred for her up to the very last moment. Margaret said, quote, hearing her voice, he sat up looking like a ghost as he tried to pounce on her. His eyes flashed with a wild feverish flame. Dora shrieked and threw back in horror. Then he collapsed soundlessly falling back on the pillows. He had gone. So Friedrich's dead. Hooray! Probably food, maybe food poisoning. I mean, food poisoning in this situation is kind of like the Occam's razor here. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. It does make sense. It really makes sense. And, you know, on a tropical island, too. And all these people dying slash disappearing so close together is, I think, sketchy, shady, sauce as hell. In nine months, nine months, four-sevenths of the island's adult population died or disappeared. Nearly 60% of them were voted off the island. So what if the Baroness was not the crazy one? What if the crazy one was Margaret? I mean, anything's possible. She's very um, lucid in her recollections of all this, but there could be some deliberation and manipulation of, of how she presents the scene too. I definitely felt that she was trying to present the scene in a certain way in her writings. She was, she had, she had an angle, she had a spin. Yeah, and that's what I'm wondering. I'm like, I'm wondering if the Baroness never did any of these things, in fact, and- But we did have stories from other people that she did these things. It wasn't just Margaret telling us. In well, fact, Dora wrote her own book that was um, Friedrich's letters and, and tellings about their interactions with the Baroness. And yet, and I, yet, just, I, I have a quick end yet. At the end of this book, Friedrich called Margaret the Satan of Floriana. Yeah, and that's why I'm wondering if Margaret didn't have a bigger hand in manipulation. Everybody here has a reason to manipulate. Because Dora, years later, has reasons to manipulate as she's putting down 
Friedrich's words, she has reason to manipulate to get any potential suspicion off of her. And her story changed all of a sudden, years later, she's saying that Friedrich died of pneumonia. Yeah, and this is like Settlers of Catan, um, like murder mystery edition. Yeah, really? <laughs> That's an excellent description. <laughs> and there were suspicions going around as well. You you weren't alone in your, your thoughts on Margaret. So that captain millionaire magnate guy who'd found Lorenz came to the island in, in December. He told Margaret that he'd gotten a letter from Friedrich in the fall talking about the Baroness's disappearance and asking him to, quote, come quickly as things have happened and might happen that are too terrible to be put in a letter. So the Baroness is gone and Friedrich is still scared. The question is, who is he scared of? That's the one we don't really know because he's vague. You know what? This is, this is my old-timey, crimey uh, advice. In your letters to people saying, I think something bad is going to happen to me, concrete examples, specificity, it really roots it in reality and gives people something to work with. You need to. So if you feel like you're going to be murdered, please tell somebody who the murderer might be. Although in this case, with the mail likely to be peeped at before it left the island, I can't blame him in this case. I can't. He knows that either the Baroness is going to look at it or maybe he, maybe Margaret's casting all these things onto the Baroness that she's doing. Or maybe you just wait your ass down by the dock until they pick it up and then you hand it to them so nobody can read it. I mean, it's not like there's a ship coming every hour. Oh, I know, but like it usually comes on Tuesdays. I'm going to write this letter and sit my ass down there and pretend I'm fishing. Oh, there's no schedule. There's no schedule. People just show up whenever. That's why they couldn't like be like, oh, well, it's Tuesday. People are going to come. We should put clothes on. No, they had to have a bell or else somebody would shout out well, the German national anthem. Then, then mayhaps just pretend that you've taken an interest in fishing. There you go. Just be down there often. Sure. I mean, the jig is up on the vegetarianism. <laughs> that ship sailed. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Unintentional puns. So that's millionaire captain. Uh, he was the first to come and say, hey, what's, uh, what's going on? And then in January, the governor of the Galapagos and some soldiers came. Now, he had been real buddy-buddy with the empress. We have the stories of her sleeping with him. And he also was just always on her side. Margaret and... Well, yeah, usually orgasms will do that. Yeah, yeah. Well, they were pissed off because the governor gave them each kind of like land grants. And he gave her like a whole bunch more than he gave them. So the Whitmers were interrogated and in his questioning of Margaret, the governor accused Hines of killing the Baroness. And when she was like, Margaret was like, where the hell did you get that? The governor said he had heard it from Friedrich in an article he'd published in an Ecuadorian paper just before his death. There is so much going on behind the scenes here that even the people involved don't know about until much later. And uh, Margaret's response to this was, there was no ship anywhere near Floriana on the night the Baroness is supposed to have left the island. Or no, I'm sorry, this is what Friedrich said in the newspaper. During the night, I heard shots and a woman's scream. It could only have been the Baroness, and the only person who could have fired the shots is Heinz Whitmer. Well, give a girl some credit. 
But, you know, that was when they brought up the distance between Hacienda Paradiso and Frito and the mountain and everything. And it really kind of seemed like the governor took this evidence as enough to say, well, these accusations are unfounded and any suspicions kind of petered away over time. Dora, really not able to support herself here anymore with the MS and it being just a rough environment. So she went back to Germany soon afterwards, and in 1943, she was living in Berlin when she died in a U.S. air raid. That left the Whitmers. They stayed on the island. They won. They won. <laughs> they won. Harry would drown in a boating accident in 1951. He would have been around 31, 32. Heinz died in the 60s, but Margaret lived out her days on Floriana, wrote a book about her life there. It was translated into 15 languages. And until she died in 2000, she stuck to her story about all these odd happenings in 1934. She never wavered. I'll give her that. So we have the remaining member of the family, Rolf. In the 60s, he brought scientists and tourists to the island on his fishing boat, Cologne. And eventually he started up a successful yachting company, Rolf Whitmer Turismo Galapagos Limited, and his children became part of the family business. This uh, probably up to a certain point only person born on Floriana, as far as we know, the first documented person born on Floriana, born in a pirate's cave, died in 2011 at age 78. And that's what I have on... The Galapagos Affair. I believe his kids are actually still like operating that. Yeah, the business is still is still going. So Margaret still is winning. She's still winning. Yeah, her her family really was the fittest to survive. Apparently. Apparently. <laughs> because they had teeth. There you go. That's teeth what it was. Yeah. No offense to anybody that doesn't have teeth, but it helps to eat things on. <laughs> yeah, Jonathan just scared off our, our huge component of toothless listeners. Sorry, guys. Sorry. Um, speaking of chewing things, would you like to hear a recipe? Sure. Did you make it? Do I have to eat it? No, I did not make it. Oh, um, I like the, the mayonnaise banana, actually. I'm going to make another one soon, but sometimes I just like to come up with wild stuff. And today I went for something German. Okay. That was published in the papers in 1932. The same makes year sense. So this is the German recipe for herring salad. Remove skin and bones from six herrings and rub through a sieve, moistening with vinegar. <laughs> Chop up... I love vinegar. Half No, it's the M word. Oh. <laughs> Chop up half a pound of cold roast veal, add two cupfuls of apples, peeled and sliced, a cup and a half of beetroot, half a cup of cold sliced potatoes, one cupful of almonds, a handful of chopped celery. To this mixture, put the herring puree and mix all together. Dress with two tablespoonfuls of grated horseradish, mixed with, mixed with two tablespoonfuls of chopped parsley, a cupful of sugar, and a cupful of vinegar. I'd eat it. That's a lot of different meats. Veal. So the, the herring thing, though, it was just like anchovy paste. Yeah, I get it. it I still don't... You eat it in Caesar dressing. I don't it have just, to... It adds some umami. I don't have to like the words herring puree. <laughs> And that's fair. And I never will. <laughs> I guarantee you. Yeah, it's just like, as soon as I read Herring Puree, I was like, uh. It just, uh, it's a little gay. So, yeah, that is my, my recipe. No milk lemonade. No milk <laughs> lemonade. I'm okay with that. Um, that was horrifying. 
<laughs> she made me a banana coated in mayonnaise with nuts, and it was amazing, actually. Yeah. yeah. I enjoyed it It was pretty it good, much. and Amber loved it. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, we are roasting in here, and um, just Patreon. Don't forget to check it out. Amber told an amazing tiny today about her family history that involves a witch, you guys. Shocking, right? It's amazing. Oh, my gosh. It's everything... I ever thought it could be. So yes, patreon.com slash oldtimeycrimey. $5 a month gets you all of our bonus episodes and the back catalog. And Jonathan, do you enjoy the Patreon? I love the Patreon. There you go. It's it's endorsed by none other than Jonathan himself, who is, you know, blood-related and therefore not in any way bound to <laughs> be nice <laughs> to me about things. So yeah, um, do we want to do what we're doing this week or do we want to go be uh, have what we're doing this week go be somewhere that's not roasting. Let's just be not roasting, but we should do our sources. We should do our sources. We will, but let's say goodbye to yeah. everybody first. Okay, so um, don't be vague when you're talking about who might kill you. Do have acacia wood handy if you'd like to burn bodies. Do you have any do's or don'ts, Jay, from the episode? Don't move to a island to try to survive if, unless you're... Well, I guess... Maybe, <laughs> maybe shoot your lover in the leg. <laughs> I don't know. Tell me. Or, you know, anybody who doesn't want to be around you. Shoot him in the leg. Force him. Don't be a gigolo to a very crazy woman. Yeah. Or do. Yeah. Or do. Depends on what you're into. We don't know your life. So, all right. That is our episode. Bleeding asses everywhere. <laughs> oh, God. Perfect ending. And bye. Bye. <laughs> My sources are The Empress of the Galapagos, Satan Came to Floriana by Dora Strouch, translated by Nicholas Monomolinos, Floriana by Margaret Whitmer, The New York Times by Stephen Holden, Esophagate by Mick LaSalle, Lit Hub by Mars Van Grunen, Wikipedia, uh, In the Heart of the Sea, The Tragedy of the Whale Ship, Essex by Nathaniel Philbrick, G Adventures Culture Trip, rwwhitmer.com, and uh, newspapers.com. Thank you, Chris Garcia, The Commercial Appeal. I don't think I had any of the same sources as you, which is amazing. Amazing! So I had happygringo.com by John Jared, cruise2galapagos.com, thoughtco by Chris Minster, Gizmodo, and Mind Over Mystery. It thrived on the island, and that was good. Oh, you know what? That's another person. That's later. <laughs> That's Heinz and Margaret. Fucking it up. Fucking it up.